0: What's up, podcast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter, on, you guessed it, another great episode of The Matt Baxter Show. This one is a little bit out there. Marcus Kazanek talks about how he literally died, like how he died, went into this whole different kind of state, and what that meant to actually go through that and then come back to life, and uh, what that meant as just an existing being of somebody who had died and came back. And this, this happened in like younger years of his life. And then as he enters the real world, what does all this mean as who he is as a person, who he's becoming as an individual? And, uh, you know, speaking of that note, he has evolved to be just a remarkably fascinating, brilliant human being that I just loved talking to. He's a coach. Holistic, you know, he, he, he speaks in the conversations around holistic business, life, conscious coaching, and just helping come alongside people, not only just in, in making business be better, but also holistically as individuals as well, too. So I just absolutely loved, loved, loved having a conversation with him. It's, it's, it's deep, it's fascinating, it's wildly interesting, and he is just a really, really, really good human. So Marcus, thank you so much for the work that you're doing, the lives that you're impacting, and just for taking a little bit of time to hang out with me as well, too. So love the show. We've got another five, 10 hours of podcast we need to go record. But Marcus, this was great. And I hope everybody enjoys it just as much as I did. Marcus, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast.
1: Yeah, it's awesome to be here.
0: We We have to give a shout out to Chris Kahn for the introduction. She, uh, She sent me a LinkedIn message and she said she was like chasing her daughter around or hanging out with family. And then she was like, oh, by the way, I have the perfect person for you to have as a guest on your podcast. And then she made the introduction, now we're here.
1: Uh, That's how it works, right? It's excellent. (laughs) So uh, where, where in the world are you recording from? I'm recording from Studio City, California.
0: Love that. And what is the studio part about Studio City, California?
1: Uh, Studio City is where all the studios are set up. So Warner Brothers is not that far away. We're not that far from Universal Studios. You know, that Universal Studios City Walk is right down the street. There's um, multiple filming and uh, the whole industry is wired in this area. A lot of things are going on. So, you know, a lot of shows like The Voice or Ellen, that's all down the street from us. Um, Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting area to live in because... There's always filming going on, and there's always uh, actors and stars and things going on. In our neighborhood is is basically a, there's always video. There's always some kind of filming happening in our neighborhood. And the funny thing is, is I didn't know this till recently, but the Brady Bunch house is actually down the street from me. Which oh, was that's awesome. interesting. I didn't know that. Someone brought me there the other day, and they're like, "Hey, you, do you know what this is?" I'm like, "Is that the Brady Bunch house?" And they're like, "Yeah." <laughs> it was really odd i was it's kind of it's kind of a very surreal thing to think of that that's there having watched it when you were a kid and then all of a sudden you you know like it's in your neighborhood that's odd
0: well as time has it um so atlanta georgia has become a really hotbed for a film and one of my buddies actually launched a movie studio called blackhall and uh I'm going to, and he just sold the movie studio, but like Godzilla, Jumanji, a bunch of those were filmed there. And I'm actually going to his wedding on Saturday. So I've, I am not a film expert whatsoever, but I have a little taste for the film industry, uh, just kind of vicariously living through him. So I, I love that. And the, the fact that you probably occasionally bump into actors is both fun and probably makes them all realize like they're just normal people too, which is, which is awesome.
1: Well, yeah, and a lot of my clients tend to be in the industry as well. So that's kind of, that's, that's interesting, Um, you know, so that's, I've got a kind of an interesting flavor for it and a a unique perspective living in it, working in it to a degree and um, seeing it as a daily experience, not to mention the fact that, you know, our kids are friends with a lot of kids who are, you know, their their families are in that industry completely wired in. So it's, you know, it's part of, it's just kind of part of the community here.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So, give me the life background. I want to hear. Uh, I want to hear the full story.
1: The full story. Okay. Well, I mean, I think if we want to start, we're going to have to start with the pinnacle experience that kind of set the tone for my journey. And um, at ten years old, uh, I was accidentally killed and came back. Um, I had a an incident, an accident in this. I was living in. A, I was born in Ontario, Can, Ontario, Canada. That's um, in the east coast of Canada and a little town. And, you know, there's a lot of snow. And during the wintertime, we would we would do crazy stuff in the snow. That's just part of living as a Canadian. And uh, we had an A-frame, an old A-frame swing set. That was one of those metal ones with, the you know, all the swings and the weird things and contraptions connected to it. And the, the drifts were really high. And it was about 10 years old. And my friends and I were out there and we were playing on it, daring each other to climb to the top of it and shimmy across. And I had an accident, slipped, Uh, the hood of my 10-year-old jacket hooked on the bolt that was on the top of the swing set, and I hung to death. And um, my father saw my lifeless body as I was slowly like, dying. And basically, I had the whole full experience of death going through that hole. For me, it was a dark, dark, almost like a black hole into this once I finished struggling and I crossed the fear threshold. Then I went into this black hole and I popped out on the other side, and I was watching my father revive my lifeless body in a bathtub. And um, when you come, then I had this experience where I was like thrust back into my body. Um, So I think a lot of people describe that as a mystical experience. And to a degree, it was because I was in a different place. I had this sense of something more profound and incredibly powerful. And if I had turned in the opposite direction, instead of staying focused on my physical 3D reality, I probably would have not come back, but I did. And for me, it wasn't so much of a mystical experience, but it's more like context. And I think that, that really set the tone for the rest of my life, because when I was thrust back into this physical reality, my first thought was, ah, this is life. So I remember thinking that when I was sitting there and my parents were you know in like in terror reviving me from from being dead from not having a pulse and bringing me back and I remember thinking now I know the difference when you have experience of something else like it, you know if you've never left your city where you came from and then you left when you come back to your city you can never see it the same well I had an experience of other than this life so when I came back you can't view life in the same context, right? It's all about context. So for me, as mystical as that was, it's also profound because it set up the the thing inside of me that was like, there is more going on. And so it made me an instant seeker and uh, basically a student of life because I recognized that I was in something and I had, had experience of something else. So my perspective was always very different from most people. And I think- so- that's- That set the tone, really. Yeah,
0: yeah. Just a normal upbringing, obviously. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) uh, So in the so number one, that's uh, like almost speechless just to even kind of hear that experience when you got thrust back in. This is probably a really dumb, stupid question, but like, was it kind of like you're just back, and obviously the shock of those around you, but like, did it just feel like you were back like before it had happened, or what was sort of the immediate reaction? For yourself when that all went down
1: the immediate reaction was that everything was amplified uh, my emotional state my experience of my world energy perception everything was heightened and uh, because you know it's kind of like kind of cracking snapping open waking up to a degree. So, you know, when you see past the illusion of the story of the narrative of this world and this life and this reality all of a sudden you can't view it the same way. So there was my initial reaction was peace. I was not I was not in any kind of emotional strife, but I was really aware of how terrified and how much was going on with my parents. And I was kind of in this really peaceful zen-like space. And I'm going to tell you, at 10 years old, you don't really have the words to integrate that, right? So it probably took another 15 to 20 years for me to integrate the experience to recognize how different my perception of reality was going to be. And I think it's a, it was about sensitivity, observation, the ability to observe, the understanding of context, the understanding of seeing things from a different perspective. You know, some people are trained to think out of the box. I thought out of the box as a way of being now. Because I was out of the box, so to speak, right?
0: Well, that that you, you alluded to one of the other questions I had on that was like, how much through the years of that experience has changed? And maybe that's the wrong word, but have you understood more? Have you uh, reflected on? And I guess like, obviously, it shaped kind of the core of who you are. So it's probably hard not to go days without thinking about that. But I guess from like the moment it happened all the way up to the point where you feel like it was a well understood experience like how much has changed or shifted for the first 10 or 15 that's a fair way years. to ask that question I guess I'd it yeah
1: yeah no no your question no I follow the question it makes sense it's a good question um for the first 15 years it was just integrating that experience like I was I mean I had a lot of difficulty being in this world after that I, I because that was but I didn't know that it just was everything was the sensitivity was heightened everything was all my sensitivity was heightened Um, And then I would say it took about 15 or 20 years to integrate the depth of understanding that this was not a, um, it wasn't a, a burden anymore. It was a gift because what it did was it drove me to understand human conditioning because I could observe my own conditioning And other people's conditioning very differently. So it put me on the path of understanding. So it drove me to study psychology. It drove me to experience and explore alternative therapies, to study with gurus, shamans, mystics, psychologists, you know, whatever, whoever could give me some kind of insight into helping me map out the human experience. Because now I've I've seen it from a different perspective. I was intrigued by the way people function and I could see it differently than other people. And so that became the basis of my exploration to understand our minds, our emotional bodies, the way we view energy, the way we view reality, uh, our behavior, our conditioning. All of that was really apparent to me at this point. But it took me, I would say, it took 15 years to integrate that that was a thing and for me to accept that I now viewed the world in a very different way from most people because for those f- first 15 years, it was really just trying to function, you know, on top of puberty and living your <laughs> your teenage life. I had all these other things going on that I was trying to kind of balance. And I thought I was crazy. I legitimately thought I was nuts.
0: So, um, um that's, <laughs> uh, you, you opened with, you died, right? Yeah. So who, who originally called it that i mean was it you that identified it as death was it doctors was it shamans was it you know somebody religious i mean what what was ultimately like the how did you arrive at the fact that you literally died and came back or how did you determine that
1: um i would say that you know well my parents kind of said it but didn't want to ever talk about it again they said like we lost you and you came back um but for me you know that wasn't my experience cuz i didn't feel a um a discontinuation of my thought process or my consciousness i was somewhere else but i didn't feel death like it that wasn't a thing for me but i mean when i look at it 15 years later having studied read learned and started exploring conditioning understanding human nature then i started to perceive it differently i was like okay that was a profound moment that probably changed the course of the way i'm going to view everything and I have to accept the fact that that did define the way I view the world and help shape my perception in a very unique way. So from that point, I did think, yeah, that was a very it was a near death experience. And I had met other people who had similar experiences, and we went into the I you know I started to see the the similarities in the way that they perceived life when they came back. So yeah, there was a point maybe in fifteen I would say in my twenties when I started to recognize how significant it actually was.
0: Um, this is maybe a really twisted question. Uh, was it like an enjoyable experience?
1: Uh, yeah, well there was no, yeah, there was no fear. There was no fear when, when I crossed the threshold, like I I see it as a black hole, you know, it was like, I went into this black hole and then I popped through the other side, kind of like a wormhole. Right. And when I crossed over and I was in this other space, there was no fear. There was no, um, dread or. Uh, i wouldn't say it was euphoric but it but i did feel this experience or presence behind me that said this feeling that was like if i had turned around and looked the opposite way there was something incredibly inviting and warm and beautiful that would have embraced me but i didn't have an experience of fear when i when i crossed over i mean when you're struggling strangling being strangled to death on a in a in, on a on a hood that's hooked on a, on a nut, on a, on a swing set. Yes. But then after the fact, no, when I had that crossover, it was not, I would say it was peace. It was peace. There was peace. There was no fear. There was no worry. There was no concern. I was just now viewing everything as an observer, looking at the whole experience and witnessing and going, wow, this is interesting. So, I know it's kind of strange.
0: Well, I, I'm more just, so you mentioned that, um, well, okay, before I go there, have you ever experienced anything similar?
1: Uh, no, not, not, at, not, I've had experiences, spiritual experiences in meditation um, and various things, because I then went to study all these different things. And I've had similar experiences, but nothing quite as, uh, profoundly visceral is that? And remember it was in I was an innocent mind. A 10-year-old has an innocent psychology in mind. So it doesn't really have the the setup thought processes or conditioning about how to view an experience like that but i have had multiple experiences through meditation through yogic practices through different things that have that are that are very similar in that experience which is what led me to believe that like it's all about context when you have this experience of something deeper more profound outside of this reality or outside of your normal functioning how it changes your perception but nothing quite like that that was the significant There was something significant about that that was that kind of tops anything else I experienced. And again, really, no experience is ever the same. Anyways, even if you have similar experiences, they're never going to be the same because you're as a being, you're you're experiencing them differently because you're different, right? So you're never gonna. It's never gonna feel exactly the same.
0: So you mentioned that through the years you've experienced people, or you've you've met people with a similar experience as you. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean. That was many years in my 30s um, when I met other people who were talking about it. And I was like, oh, okay, I get that. I never really put too much focus on it. I was too busy uh, with the learning process of of understanding my own functioning to focus too much. It was kind of like that happened. Okay, I'm different. There's other people that had this happen. I'm not crazy. And okay, let's move on. Let's continue to continue to deepen and learn and grow and explore. That was more of my passion at that point. It created this insatiable desire to understand the human condition. That's what it did. And that's what formed everything moving forward at that point. Like it instantly created a seeker, right? And that that I mean, I also believe that I had the ability to create a reality because when you recognize that you can leave it and come back, it's a lot more mutable to you. You have the ability to think, well, you know, I can craft this reality how I want it to be. I can create a life. In other words, I can have, maybe I have more power to manifest, create, and find my purpose, create the what I want, the way I want it than I ever thought I did.
0: Where my mind, like where I'm, where I'm curious is for it, you mentioned about like a consciousness that you could create or a reality that you could create. For people who have equally experienced something like that, has it their first or maybe only uh, similar experience to that? Has it almost always fallen from a traumatic experience, meaning like you literally were near death? And I'm curious: Are there like, have you experienced people? And obviously, if it's confidential conversations, I'm not asking, not wanting you to disclose anything. But have you experienced anybody who has gotten to a similar place that you can relate to that wasn't via traumatic, near death, physically experienced?
1: Yeah, make- I think I think there. I've met many beings um, practicing well, what, what I could say, sadna, spiritual practices, yogic practices, meditation practices, who've had a similar experience of. That understanding of being out of the norm or what we consider the mundane and having had something, some experience which has thrust them back into their relative functioning. And now they're perceiving it from a different perspective. Now everyone's different, right? Because even if even the near death experiences or the death experiences are different between different people. So for me, having met a bunch of people, it's about, like I said, that's why I said it's about context for me because it creates the ability to now observe your reality from a different perspective. And that gives you a different kind of power on how you want to create it. For sure. So I've, I've met many people who have had similar things. And I mean, I can't, I'm can't i not in their body and I don't know their experience, but I do know that everyone's going to have their unique uh, experience of whatever that is. And it doesn't always have to be traumatic because I've had many experiences pa- after that in meditative experiences that have been equally as powerful but not traumatic and and have have created that 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 understanding of being able to see your reality from a different perspective so yeah it doesn't have to be traumatic i mean i think the i think anybody who's changing like any of us who are going through the process of change unfortunately for most human beings it requires pain and discomfort and a catalyst for most of us to want to change like if you're if you don't have a desire to change and there's no reason to and everything's humming along and there's no there's nothing that challenges you to shift what the way things are functioning then you don't really have a desire a need or an understanding that you even need to you don't know you don't know right so i think there has there is some kind of catalyst in everybody that happens it's like a moment a, uh, a turning point a relationship a circumstance a loss of job. something wakes us up that says hey I want this to be different or the way I'm doing it doesn't work anymore.
0: So you've, you've, uh, you know, obviously had a very normal, you know, 10 year old life. And then obviously following up that experience, uh, you've dedicated your life. Well, at least sounds like it. you've dedicated your life towards that sort of being the rocket fuel for your experience and what you understand. Would you say that a lot of it was focused on understanding what
1: happened? no. And no, no, no. It was more. It was more about understanding. I mean, that was done. <laughs> right, that was over right. with. It. Ha- it happened. Now I had to deal with the aftermath of it. Right. Like right. now, it was like, oh my god, I'm now. Now I can see all these parts of me and understand that I'm a much more complex being than I had realized before. I need to now work that out. Like that was the immediate emergency. Like I had to understand my mind, my emotions, my energetics you know, the context of how things work. I started developing systems and, and really young because I was trying to figure out how to function as this from, as a mundane being. And, and I could, it was kind of like the, the chip, you know, there's a chip that separates everything in somebody. And that chip was kind of like not annihilated when I came back and I had access to like, observe all these things in me. That was them focused. Now it was all about trying to function and trying to, And in my particular case, at that age, it was like, how can I be normal? Like, how can I function normally in this world with this unique perception?
0: So I'm going to go really out there for a hot second, then I'm going to bring it back full circle, okay? Sure, sure, sure. So I run run a tech startup, and I have been an entrepreneur since I was 15. By that, I mean, like, mowing lawns, and then I realized I could set my own schedule, and then I realized I could start a tech company. And, you know, for me, it's like, I always... For me, it's a very normal way, and I can't really go outside without looking at a house and say, somebody built that, or I can't uh, look at a skyscraper and say, somebody visioned that, or I can't look at a software company without thinking, well, somebody had it back. So I've just been so purviewed into that world that that's just sort of naturally the way I think. And so for you experiencing that, that was a moment that happened to you, and then sort of you went on a destined to understand going forward and for like more futuristic thinking how to deal with the aftermath. Can, number one, like, so sounds like people in a meditated state can experience something like that, but like, is there an element of normality to you? Like, can you just sit down and have a beer without like thinking in consciousness terms? Or is it just once you've sort of been experienced to that or purview to that, you can't really go back?
1: Uh, I think it's both. And it's going to sound strange because it's not a linear thing, but there is something that's never going away that's kind of awakened that I couldn't shut off if I wanted to, right? I can and, get that. And, and, and I can function normally and have a beer and hang out and and, and appreciate the, uh, I don't know how to explain it, the beauty of the mundane. You know, if you focus so doesn't, much doesn't
0: on- But the- doesn't that by nature make it so that, you, like, so majority of, and I'm not trying to look at like, say this in a way of looking down on people, but like the fact that you can enjoy that, doesn't that, like most, uh, I would say a lot of people can't. And doesn't that give you, I, I don't know, doesn't that, maybe that's a bad way of phrasing that, but.
1: It gives me, you know what? um Yeah, I I had to learn how to enjoy it. It wasn't yeah. something that came easy. It was something that I had to learn to be comfortable with both of those simultaneous worlds existing in this weird paradoxical reality within me. But um, I do. I enjoy, in fact, it's funny because people ask me, well, what's the most blissful things for me? And the most blissful things are the total mundane, like laying in bed and hearing the coffee maker going on downstairs and hearing my wife and my daughter and my son in the kitchen, like that, to me, this, that's a blissful mundane moment. It's not these elevated experiences that are my, that are that are blissful for me. Though they are, they can be these otherworldly things and these this this different perception. But the things that are really really powerful is we're in a human body. We're here experiencing a, a human reality. And for me, there's a level of just enjoying and appreciating and, and working within the context of that. So I, I do have the ability, but not, not easily. That took many years of being comfortable to live in both of those worlds simultaneously where one is not at the sacrifice of the other.
0: I love that. So now that we got through, like you know, ten year old you, <laughs> what about what about twenty and thirty year old you and your pursuit in life and what? So obviously you went on a, a, a rabbit hole, if you will, for decades. So walk me yeah. through kind of where life took you through after that.
1: University, studying psychology and creativity because to me those were the two pieces that seemed to be the the depth of understanding human conditioning. Uh, I was um, basically disillusioned with school because I. I thought it, it, it was limited in terms of what it was going to give me. It was beautiful. I mean, it gave, you, it gave me a foundation, but then I, was, I, was, I needed more from, based on my experience. So I went out seeking alternative medicine. Uh, I started studying alternative techniques, Eastern techniques. I started working with gurus and teachers and shamans and mystics. And I do have a background. My father's a, a Canadian a, a Indian. So you know he grew up in a reservation. So I do have some context. Of different ways of looking at the world. And then I, but I went out looking. I, I went seeking all over the world. I studied in different countries. I ended up, I spent a year in the forest on my own um, and just traveling and living off the land for a year. And then I spent 11 years in an ashram, which is kind of like a, a monastic community in meditation. And it, it wasn't until 2011, 2012, when I finally came back into the world and I said, well, I have all these experiences in the spiritual alternative world of thinking. How can I now apply those in the mundane world and create a business and become an entrepreneur? If all those things are true, if all those, those dynamics that you learned about your inner reality, you should technically be able to take that, apply that in the physical world and create a successful business and become an entrepreneur. And I did. So I, so that took me on this really crazy journey of going out of the world for many many years, going deep into that, that world of the sacred, and then coming back in, and then recrafting my reality in a kind of really mundane way, but in, but with this context and this understanding, and developed a you know an international coaching practice and and a business, and you know within five years it was I, I and mean, you have to remember when I came out of the ashram I had no possessions nothing zero. And I started in 2011, 2012 with nothing and then built a six-figure business. So that process was, that's an entrepreneurial process. We're talking about now taking all those tools, all that context, all those experiencing experiences and applying them to the mundane world and using them in a business context. So it became very pragmatic, right? So you yeah, know, it was quite a like quite a, a a pendulum swing, if you think about that. I went from all the way from living with nothing in a community and being in completely selfless service and meditating, you know, four o'clock in the morning for hours and then in the evening and having this really, really rigid s- schedule to coming back into the world and going into the world of business which seems odd to people, but to me, it wasn't. It was like, you should be able to do this because it's mindset, it's understanding, it's all the same tools. You're just applying it in this world, right?
0: So after this, I'm, I want to make an introduction uh, for you. And I made a note to take it offline, but I've had um, I've had a guy who leads ayahuasca retreats around the world um, on, mm-hmm. on this, and we had a really, really cool conversation. And one of the things I asked him, and I and I, I, I like to come up with all organic questions, but I, I feel the need to ask you this as well too. One of the things I asked him was that majority of people sort of pursuing that line of work, are they people sort of, for lack of a better term, saying, I'm screwed up and I have problems and I'm looking for any sort of help that I can get and I've arrived on this sort of outlet? Or are you more predominantly interacting with, I for lack of better terms, I'm awesome and I recognize that I'm awesome and I'm trying to take myself to the next level, if you will. And those are really dummy down version. But would you say it's more people struggling, suffering, looking for an outlet or looking for some form of like, how do do I get out of this trap? Or is it, look, life's great. Let's take it to the next level. It's both. I have both.
1: I mean, I have the people who are, because I said, remember, catalyst is a big deal. Remember almost every, if you think about your life, There were catalysts. There were moments of a catalyst that said, I need to do this differently, right? So I'm the person who people seek out for those tools in relationships, in their own conditioning to understand their mindset. And there are people who are already on that path and well on the path. And they're like, okay, how can I amp this up? Like how can I, how can I put this on steroids to make this more efficient? Then I can do that. I, I have both those kind of people because I've worked with actors and actresses and, and professional musicians and professional uh, athletes as well as people in relationship issues and people struggling with divorce and and understanding their own their own inner relationship. but it all comes back to the same thing. It all comes back to understanding and having an awareness of your own inner conditioning and then having a level of mastery on functioning with that, a system, a way of working with that, and then learning to use those tools to apply that in the world to make different choices, right? So either one of those are are very common in my practice with the, with the clients that I have.
0: So... I don't know how to. I don't know how to ask this exactly, so bear with me. But sure. where my mind goes is like this: this a lot of this work is focused on like self. Is that safe to say? Self and self understanding.
1: It's the the first part of it. I think there's a there's going to be a part of it that's focused on self awareness, the different parts of who you are, and then at some point in the game, it doesn't mean anything until you can apply it in the world, right? Like. That's what, that was the big deal. I went, I remember I went out of the world for what? I almost like over a decade and then I came back and it was like, yeah, so I have all this stuff that I've learned. Okay, big deal. But can I do something with it? Can I apply it? Can I make it practical? So I feel for me, it's all about practical application. Like if you cannot practically apply those, those learnings and you can't use them in the world to create a different kind of physical reality then what's the point of being able to chant scriptures or understand particular yogic practices if it doesn't do anything to change your life right, right.
0: and that's yeah I'd, no i love that i love that framing of it um wh- what i'm what i'd be super curious in, and maybe this is its own you know 3 hour 5 hour podcast in and of itself but is the is the stance on well like uh, Is there a linear path to deeper understanding that goes from, I'm first working on myself, now I'm working on how I live and operate in the world, and then now I'm working on how I live and operate in the world when it comes to specific relationships with other people. And for example, bad example, but let's say you and your wife get into an argument or a disagreement, or let's say you guys had a wonderful evening. You could go either way. And so uh, let's say you felt in the argument sense, you felt compelled and you felt like your stance or whatever side you were taking was accurate and correct. And your wife was totally disagreement, but she equally felt as convicted. Are you, and again, in the context of like conscious thinking, are you spending more time processing what maybe you didn't articulate things differently, or maybe she didn't understand it and you were looking at how to have that conversation differently? I know that probably doesn't make any sense at all. What I'm, what I'm getting at is like, is there sort of a path to the depth of kind of the line of work? Or is it once you've arrived here, it's the deepest you possibly can go with it? Does any of that make sense?
1: Can I can I uh, mine what I thought you said? And I'll, I'll say it back to you. That's what, what I was hoping uh, was going to happen. <laughs> what, I, what I'm hearing you ask, is there a system? Do you have systems? And so I don't think it's necessarily a linear approach because I think everyone's going to be different. But I do believe that there are pragmatic systems that you can apply tools, right? I mean, like tools are used differently by different people at different times in different ways, depending on their conditioning, your behavior, your circumstance, your history, your whatever's going on, right? So yes, tools and I, and this is one of the things that grounds me in this world, in the mundane is having very um, powerful, developed, uh, researched, on myself and you know 10 15 20 years of clients tools that people can use to apply so they can systematically make the changes that they want to make more effective and more efficient and yes when we encounter a disagreement with a spouse, for instance, right? There are tools to go inside to learn and understand what's triggered and why. And then there are tools, behavioral tools, to understand now how to communicate that to your partner in a way that's going to be expansive and that you're going to be able to meet them in a place where you can communicate and shift the issue. So it's both. It's an inner experience and it's an outer experience. Here's the problem though. Most people function from the outside in. They don't have any inner relationship or inner kind of um, investigation or examination. And they kind of like fumble through their patterns. And then that creates a catalyst for them to go inside and look. So the way I work with people is I work from the inside out. I'm like, you learn your own conditioning. You understand the the way you function. And then you learn tools on how to navigate that in the outer world.
0: So, for somebody that wants to just outsider, cheap, free, uh, free advice, just begin this line of work. What's, <laughs> what's, what's the uh, what's the best place for them to start?
1: The first, I mean, you have to know who you are. There's a level of self investigation that's required: journaling, self observation, understanding your conditioning, having an emotional awareness, emotional intelligence, understanding your behavior, your history, and how your history impacts and creates the conditioning in your relationships, like. At some point in the game, there's going to be some where you turn inward and you start looking at yourself and understanding that you function. There are a lot of things that are are in play that create and influence the way you perceive the world. So anyone who's going to do this kind of work or is interested in being a coach, at some level in the game, if you're just functioning, dealing with people's issues on the outside, it's management. There has to be some level of self-awareness in order to understand where you're going from. Let me put it this way. Think of it like a GPS system, right? You're you you you're sitting in Studio City and you want to go to the Midwest. And so you put in your GPS. What's the first thing you put in? You have to put in your where you are. You have to put in your location, your present location. And then from that, you put in where you want to go. And then automatically in this magical way, this GPS system creates this perfect path, the most efficient path to get from point A to point B. Now, most people don't do the first part. They don't know where they're coming from and they're projecting where they want to go. So how efficient is the path that you're going to take going to be if you don't know your starting point? So learning a level of self-awareness is the starting point in that equation.
0: I like that. I feel like I need some some more journaling effort. My problem with journaling, so I've journal so, fa- like I've faith has been a, a a large part of my life, and I've gone through seasonalities of journaling a lot. It Usually, just ends up like I, in my experience, I'm a pretty optimistic person, and I <laughs> being in startups, it's hard not to not to you know have an op- optimistic look. Otherwise, you shouldn't be in it. But um, I I have found journaling to be a little bit depressing. Where it's like when I go back and read, I'm like. Damn, am I self deprecating? And not, I, I enjoy self deprecating in the sense of like short jokes or like stuff like that, which I, I, that's fun for me. But when I actually go back and reread journal entries, I'm like, man, that I, what I wrote seemed a lot more, a uh, lot worse than what my, my current state of mind probably, I don't know how to explain that, but I found journaling to be a little bit like more on the depressing side. And maybe that's something in and of itself, but.
1: Well, I mean. It depends on how you journal. I mean, like like everything, there's tools, right? So most people don't journal consciously. It's not like they have a system or an approach. And most of the time, we're just throwing things down into a page. Sometimes it's and for a lot of people, it's just logging. Like, hey, me and John went out for dinner. We, you know, we went to a movie. I mean, they're just basically it's basically just you're logging your day. Um, But the real introspection comes when you start having the right questions, the, the ability to journal. And again, I, I learned how to journal on my own because I was it was an act of self-observation. But any act of self-observation, even looking back and looking at your journaling and saying, wow, that was really negative. Well, there's a voice speaking there. There's a part of your conditioning speaking. And so it's to look back at your journaling and understand, okay, there was something speaking here. I want to understand it. Like I want to understand where does that voice come from? Why is that voice- so contractive? Why does that voice tend to be so self-deprecating? That all points towards unconscious patterns that are also influencing the way you view the world, even though you may be an optimistic person. The unconscious patterns still play a role in the way we create what we create. It creates resistances in areas we don't need, and it's it plays into how we create our world. So the observation, the tool of observation and journaling, any kind of it is good to a degree, but then again, There are always more efficient ways to approach something like that. And let's be clear, we're not taught that in society. Society isn't teaching us to self-reflect. Society isn't teaching us to look at our own conditioning. It's not about self-awareness. For the most part, it's about being engaged and distracted and committed to the outside world. Now, I'm not saying that's bad. Like, Obviously, it's not because or else I wouldn't have come back into the world in that way. But there has to be a balance of being able to go inward and then from that that learning or that observation that you gain about yourself then applying that in the outer world it changes the way you function and it cha- it makes it more efficient so any tool that's going to um that's going to streamline your process especially in journaling for an example will make it more effective and get you more awareness to the parts of you if you're asking the right questions but again we're not taught to ask those questions. That's not the way our society functions. So how would we know? That's why we go to, to teachers and people like me who have, who have spent a lifetime studying that and working with people to give them the tools, the systems, the ways of thinking, the, ask the right questions, right? With better questions, you get more deeper and profound answers. It's all about the questions.
0: I love that because that's kind of the whole premise of what my podcast is for, is that it's uh, not necessarily for my own in, in, introspective or interpersonal, but it's uh, it's a way of hearing 150 or 200 people's stories about what gets them out of bed in the morning, what they pursue. And it's my way of basically learning from a wide range of that, but also providing, you know, for the outside world, an opportunity to s- see a paper trail of 150 or 200 people doing some really cool shit. And to go back <laughs> and say, that's, you know, if that person can do it, I could do it. Or if that person took that leap of faith, I could do that. Or if that person in this circumstance died, then I can go through tough things and figure out how to get on the other side of it. So anyways, I, uh, I, I, I am a huge fan of the majority of the world could be better off if they just start asking more questions.
1: And asking questions that are more, more um, intelligent, aware, conscious, informed questions, right? It's not, I mean, you know, most people, they're not questioning anything. They're not questioning themselves. They're not questioning if they really love what they're doing. They're not questioning whether the relationship they're in is really that expansive. It's if it if it's something that they really want to do. I mean, most people live by default, and it's your fault if you choose to live by default. But there is another option. And again, for most people, they don't they may not know that they don't know. So I, I choose not I choose to help people like when default becomes when the when that living by default no longer feels fulfilling, that's when people start asking the right questions. So,
0: tell me about the book, speaking of asking questions.
1: Sure, sure. The book is 10 years, 15 years of research. I mean, me learning a different way of looking at the inner world. And I break the book down into four categories. The inner world is broken down into four categories. You have what we call expansive and contractive. My foundation of thinking of the world is not from the place of morality. It more comes from this idea of expansion and contraction, meaning... Um, expansive is like conscious, aware, informed, connected, open, and contractive is closed, no, unconscious, unaware. Um, it's a, it, it, I, People look at it as negative and positive, but I don't necessarily see it that way, but you can perceive it that way. So for me, the world, all our decisions, every decision you make, every single decision is is a singular decision. You're choosing either an expansive path or a contractive path. It's There's nothing in between. So when you get the idea that the foundation of life is that choice and you can choose something expansive or something contractive, and then you apply that to the inner world, then you have the elements of expansion and contraction have qualities. So if you think of expansion, there's what we would call the radiant side and the mature side. That's what expansion's made of, radiant and mature. Radiant inner child, mature inner adult. I call that above the line. That's all the conscious expansive elements of our being. And then below the line would be the wounded side and the shadow parts of our personality. And so those four quadrants make up the way we function as beings, and they're always engaging, interacting in our inner world, and they're interacting in our outer world. So if you want to shift your relationships on the outside world, the first thing you want to do is understand and work with your relationship with yourself and all of these different personalities and archetypes on the inside world. So the way the book is crafted is it's kind of a map for creating conscious relationships by understanding this system of looking at the world from expansion and contraction, from radiant and mature, from shadow and wounded, and knowing how all these things interact. When you're when you dealing with an individual, you're dealing with a fragment. You're dealing with a fragment of their personality, and they're coming from a particular story. You know, you know when you're dealing with a wounded individual, like they're in this wounded victim space, right? They're playing out a particular fragment of their consciousness. What if you understood that? What if you understood that inside of yourself and you understood it when you were dealing with people? That changes the game in the way you engage with your relationships. And so that's what the book's about. The book's about helping people walk through the process, the system, the tool, the map to help them understand that on the inside and change the relationship on the inside. And then they're going to create something completely different on the outside. And inadvertently, whether you like it or not, when you start to understand that in your own experience internally, you automatically see it in the outer world. And then you're able to navigate your experience of that very differently. That's the book.
0: I love the book and I'm excited to read the book and I'm excited to call you with a hundred questions and you're going to get annoyed with <laughs> me. But um, do you think, uh, the, the so I, I totally agree and I totally resonate with the fact that like you you know when you're dealing with a wounded individual. Do you think, so there has been in my life and reflection, there's obviously been wounds and moments and there's certainly been seasons and maybe I am a wounded individual, but if you will, do you think majority... Of people are aware when they're sort of in a deep cycle of it versus a moment by moment of it.
1: I think there might be some um, recognition of the moment by moment, but I'm not sure people are aware of the deeper impact and the cycles that are playing out on the on the subconscious level. That requires a little more investigation. And do you um, think
0: do you think that that coming to light comes from uh, hmm, the original comment that you made around people needing to change? So, like, do you think a wounded individual? Becomes aware once something causes them the need to change, if you will.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm a full believer that catalyst is what is the inspiration for most people. I don't. I can't say what the catalyst is because it's different for everyone. But there's some catalyst. I mean, for some people, it's a bad relationship. Like if you've had, you know, a lot of people come to me and they say, I keep creating the same relationship again and again and again. The same kind of people. Why do I keep dating the same person again and again and again? And I'm like, Well, you got to look at what your conditioning is because once it, my wife has a very funny expression she's like you know you got to pay attention to the patterns and i always say well yeah if you if you if you if you've enough people tell you something or you see something enough times it behooves you to turn around and look in the mirror if someone tells you you have a tail enough times you got to turn around and look and see if you have a tail right so patterns things that occur again and again and again What that ends up doing is showing us that something we're in a loop. We're in a negative feedback loop. We're living in some kind of conditioning and we don't know how or why we even got that conditioning, but we want to break out of it. And sometimes that's the catalyst for people to change, right? But here, but I want to say something about this idea of being wounded. I want, I want people to understand that every single human being has a fragmented psychology. Like there's not one human being who's completely integrated i mean the functioning of our whatever the experience of this world was it fragmented our our psychology into all these different pieces so it's not really the question whether you're fragmented it's really the question of what's your inner relationship and outer relationship to that inner conditioning and what are you going to do about it because it doesn't go away You know, your habits and patterns, they're conditioned. You don't necessarily patterns, the dynamic of those patterns don't go away. What changes is how you engage with it and what in your level of awareness of them, and then you choose something different. So we are all in some way playing with the same set of dice, and we all rolled and got different conditioning. Not one conditioning is not better than the other. Some people are more wounded, some people are more shadow. It's really about the depths of your awareness of that conditioning and what you're going to do to use that to create the world that you want. And that starts with the awareness of it and then the application of it eventually. So for,
0: I guess for you, given the fact that this book just came out, well, when, when did it come out?
1: Uh, it went out in December. I mean, I, I self-published it and put it out on Amazon in December.
0: What's next for you?
1: What's next for me? I mean, I have another book coming out. I mean, not necessarily probably at the end of this year because I'm exploring another element of this. I have a bunch of them laid out. I have, um, I mean, I have my, I mean, depending on how the situation is with COVID, I'll get back to doing my events, my, uh, doing events and doing lectures and doing stuff on stage. And um, But I'm still doing clients. So I'm always working with clients um, through this new remote platform, which functions fine for what I'm doing. But I mean, I'm looking forward to getting back to doing retreats and workshops and traveling and all over the US and doing that again, because that's an exciting part for me is to meet different people and communicate. I mean, we've done our best during this situation, but it is what it is. So Uh, For me, it's now just kind of reframing, building everything out and preparing for the next phase when we can get back out in the world and continuing to do the kind of work I'm doing and and then working on the next book and the next series of courses and things that are coming out. So it's always, you know, it's really about refining what's going on and, and, um, and, you know, working with our existing reality to make it work.
0: For sure. I love it. So my, 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 I'm going to ask two questions to kind of close this off. My first question that I want to, I want to, I want to hear you, you know, hear your response to is, uh, what is the legacy that you want to leave?
1: That's a good question. You know, I don't think anyone's ever asked me the legacy. I think if I think in terms of what legacy is for me, everything is around consciousness about helping people become more empowered, in their own inner relationship. So if i could leave a series of tools, an understanding, a series of teachings and a series of individuals who are who have some uh have had have gained something from that inner investigation as a, and me guiding them through that, then i've offered some value in the world. I'm i'm offering i could because i believe a more conscious individual going to make is going to ask different questions right and from those different questions they're going to come up with more expansive choices in how they create their relationship to themselves in the outer world so everything in my world is about consciousness whether it be um, a painting that i'm doing or working with a a coach or a client or uh, an actor or a, a professional or a ceo it's all about leaving the legacy of helping add value and tools for that individual to develop a deeper awareness about themselves.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I think that's a, not that you needed this from me, but I think that's a legacy worth leaving. Um, my uh, my other question, and this is my favorite question in the world, is uh, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: I would say what gets me out of bed is the, the insatiable um, a- attraction and expansive experience of working being having the privilege to work in that world with people because i mean when i work with people it's it's a privilege people offer they they open up their world to me and we go in together and help craft recraft retool their world their inner world and their outer world and i mean i feel really pretty much in awe and humbled by the fact that somebody lets me in to be able to do that and i feel deeply privileged for the, the for the for the opportunity to do that. So what gets me out of bed in the morning is the opportunity to to have that impact, to do that kind of work, and to continue to support creating awareness, in the hope that someday that ripple effect changes the outer world too. I mean, now I'm more engaged with it in an entrepreneurial way too as well. But the, it's the same thing that motivates me. It's consciousness. It's that uh, that I understanding that we can have a deeper inner relationship which will completely change the power we have as individuals, the craft, the world that is fulfilling, that's filled with those things and those visions that we often don't believe we can have. So that's what gets me up in the morning, the ability to do that, whether that's as a parent, as a coach, as a business owner, as an artist, as a podcaster, as a host, whatever that happens to be, that's what drives me. You know, that—that's an, And it's a weird, insatiable, I can't even explain it. It's kind of this insatiable thing that's just like, that's the motivating factor. And I don't think that that's ever going to be shut off. Maybe that's because of the experiences I've had. But I certainly I certainly feel expansive and fulfilled being able to have the privilege to do that kind of work.
0: I love it. And Marcus, I want you to know that I'm inspired by it. It's, um, it's fascinating work. It's impactful. And it's also not only individually and personally changing for people, but it's generationally changing too. Because the impact that you can have on... One person's life can have ripple effects far beyond just themselves, which is really cool work too.
1: And I've you know, and that's the thing that's kind of really fulfilling when you see that. You see how families have changed, how entire businesses have changed, changed as a result. I love working with people who work with people because I know the impact that I'm gonna have with that individual. If I give them new tools, they're now gonna rip, that's gonna be a ripple effect in their entire reality, right? So every human being they touch after that point. Is going to be impacted by the awareness that we've. I've had the privilege of helping them craft.
0: That's so good. That's so good. Well, Marcus, for people that want to follow along uh, with the work that you're doing, for people that want to reach out to you and potentially uh, engage, you know, on a professional level with you, what is the best way for them to either get in touch with you, follow along, uh, learn more, this, that, and the other?
1: You can um, connect with me on my web on my. Um, uh, Website, which is uh, www.markuskastenich.com. People can, can email me at info at markuskastenich.com. I have a YouTube channel, which under the same name, you can follow me on Instagram, uh, Facebook. There's a Facebook that, uh Facebook um, coaching site as well. So, and then they can connect with me. And then there are a bunch of ways through courses different things. And of course, I'm starting a podcast too. In the next probably in the next month or two, there'll be a podcast up called the Relation Shift Podcast. And it's all going to be about this inner and outer expression experience and investigation. They're going to be offering tools and guests as well. So there's all these opportunities and ways to connect. And of course you can always get the book. And uh, people, you know, they use that as a map, as a reference tool to kind of to to streamline the journey into awareness.
0: I love it. Well Marcus, seriously, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast.
1: Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Matt. I appreciate it.